Abba Father, your love is unfailing and you are so busy about caring for us and literally creating the image of your son in us. And I ask for grace and truth and favor beyond measure right now for each person that's here. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, uh, we're, man. <laughs> I'm about to bust. I've got so much to share. Okay, let's understand some things we've worked through. Number one, some vocab. Eucharist, pop quiz. Come on, what does the word Eucharist mean? Greek scholars, what does it mean in Greek? Real simple. Yes. What's that? Yeah, exactly. Give thanks. Exactly what it means. Now, that word morphed to referring to the Lord's Supper. Um, But then it morphed again and it kind of got grabbed up by the Orthodox and Catholic tradition. And so when you say Eucharist, you're saying the Holy Communion in which you encounter the living God through the bread and the wine. All right, what's a liturgy? You hear that a lot. Liturgy, what's that? It means to serve. It just means to serve. That's actually what it means in Greek. However, here we go again. When you hear a Catholic Uh, An Anglican, an Episcopal, uh, an Orthodox believer talk about the liturgy that's almost identical with the Eucharist. It's like one and the same. Like when you say Catholic Mass, it is all about the Eucharist, that kind of thing. Sacramentalism, that's a tough one. What's sacramentalism? Y'all are not going to pass this course, okay? (laughs) And I grade hard. We do see the final. By the way, when I was teaching, do you know what I did with my students? I actually gave them the test in advance. I'm not kidding. And that some still failed it. That's terrible. Yes? And it becomes the body and the blood. Yeah. Uh, no. Um, Janice? Isn't that the other one? Nope. <laughs> Sacramentalism is the idea that, that the primary sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper effect cause, bring about, make happen your salvation. Something sacred happens. Now, we're not talking about encouragement. Like, we're not saying, oh, I got a nice feeling. We're talking about your salvation actually being impacted and even given to you in pieces, okay? Uh, Sacredotalism is... I'm the only one authorized to do it. What's that? I think I'm wrong, but I want to say it's the study of religion, but that might not be the right word. No, no, it means only I am authorized. Only Stephen is authorized to dispense the sacred elements. You little people, you laity, you're not worthy. You're not worthy to touch it. Listen, I come out of the Catholic Church, and I'm serious. You are not worthy to touch it. I wasn't. And that's why you open your mouth like a little bird, and the priest bends over and puts that wafer in your mouth, because you don't even deserve to touch it. Wow. Sacredotalism, only authorized agents, ordained priests, can do it. Michael? I was going to say, you want to tell them what happens when they, uh, it gets accidentally dropped? Mass. All kinds of stuff happens. Yeah. And by the way, the leftover wine and the leftover bread. Yeah. Okay. Ready? That was a good review. Church history. Man, the great schism of 1054. That's when the Catholic Church <laughs> breaks away from the Orthodox Church. By the way, by 1215 AD, 
appreciate this, 1,100 years later from the time Jesus gave the Last Supper, 1,100 years later, the church decides it's transubstantiation. The bread and the wine become flesh and blood. 1,100 years later. I'm sorry, people. I don't think we need that many centuries to figure this stuff out. Okay? Something's wrong here. Something's going on. All right. Last Supper. This is really a big deal. On the Last Supper, Jesus did take bread and say, take, eat, this is my body. He did not take lamb and say, take, eat, this lamb is my body. Which is curious. Why? Why is that an odd thing? That he didn't say, this lamb is my body. He's the lamb. John clearly establishes that. But why? The big reason. Justin. What's that? The feast was over. The feast was over, or actually, it actually might even be just about to begin. Depends on the timeline. But what's going on? What's the big Jewish holiday? Passover. It's all about the lamb at Passover. All the rules about the lamb, right? It's, it's about lamb and unleavened bread. And certainly wine is a part of that. But in this instance, you would think he would say, this lamb is my body, slaughtered for you, taken in remembrance of me. But he doesn't. Why? There's an answer. And we'll get into it real deep. Uh, uh, Maddie. That's absolutely. But he's also the bread of life. He's also, and we'll get into that a little bit. Okay, one more. Today, what happens when we take the bread and the wine? In an act of worship as the church. What happens? Okay. Now, you ready? I'm going to push you guys. We're going to work hard today. I want you to think. Because we're going to do the Lord's Supper today, right? As we do every Sunday. And you're going to hold that juice. And you're going to hold the bread. And we're, there should be some gluten-free bread for those of you who are sensitive to, to that. Um, and you gotta, you're going to look at that. And you're going to think, what's about to happen? Is something going to happen in you? Is something going to happen with the elements? Watch this. All right. I want you to think. Here's the first reference to the Last Supper in Matthew's Gospel. Based on what you read, and I'm helping you by having it highlighted. What happens with the bread and the wine? And the participant during the Last Supper. What happens to him? Based on this text, what happens? We remember his sacrifice. Remembering his sacrifice. Okay, where does it say that? What's that? Give thanks. Give thanks, absolutely. Give thanks, sure. Right? What's that? Say that again. Forgiven, where does it say that? Okay, which is being poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, got it. Yes, sir. Okay, good, good. Somebody else, where does it say something spiritual or magical? And I'm pushing that word to make my point. Where does it, where does it say that something happens inside the heart of the person taking it? You're so smart. Thank you, Michael. Okay. So something's going from the outside to the inside. There's an ingestion. Are we ingesting just bread and just and just wine? What are we ingesting? You know, 
this is good. If this is all you have. Eat and drink. Eat and drink? Okay, good. How about the next text? Look at, look at Mark, which is almost identical, by the way. What does it say happens to the bread and the wine and happens to the person when they ingest it? What's that? It really doesn't say, does it? Jenna, it really doesn't say. Okay. Is anybody else seeing something maybe that I'm not seeing? Yes, sir. Yeah, well, that actually does. There is a covenant behind this. And a covenant is a promise that two people share, whether it's in marriage or Jesus in the church or God in Israel, they make a covenant or a promise. Okay, how about, how about uh, Luke's gospel? What does it say? And Luke is significantly different. What does it say happens to the bread and the wine and to the person that takes it? Does anything happen? You ingest it. What's that? Share it among yourselves. There's a command to share, verb to share. Anybody else? Josh, what do you think? Putting you so on the spot right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Does it, what does it say about what's happening? What's the mystery? Is there a mystery? What do you think? Well, my question, my wondering uh, question would be, how long is the covenant? Uh, when will it come to fruition? Yeah, yeah. Do terms and conditions change? At some point, something happens. Yeah. Uh, let's let's field this question. What's that, Edie? Good, 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 good. So, so really we can conclude, Edie, that to remember, which implies reflecting, right? Uh, Josh reflecting on the covenant, the promises that God made Israel and how that applies to us, promises God makes to us, like the forgiveness of sins. So if there's something happening, it's that we're going to think, we're going to reflect, we're going to remember, okay? Got it. All right. How about, how about this one? Now, this is Paul's, uh, Paul's treatment. And by the way, can we have just a little bit of fun? Can we clap as they're coming in? Yay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Mr. and Mrs. Philip here. Yay. How's married life? Okay, good. Um, how's, how's Philip's training? Is he? Is he? <laughs> so ob- obedience school is working. Are you, are you the snap and the point or, or the foot? Okay. Back into it. Back into it. So uh, this is Paul's treatment. Now this is going to get a... This is far more dense theologically. Far more dense. And I've highlighted some things, right? So back at it. What happens to the bread and the wine and the person taking it based on 1 Corinthians 11.
self-examination. Okay, which is mandated. It's something you have to do, right? So that's something on you, but, but what's going on mysteriously or dynamically? Michael? Nothing. <laughs> well, that's depressing. Okay, good. Michael's on to something. Let's not, let's not find something that's not there. Let's be careful to not do that. But if something's there, let's not ignore it either. What's that? Okay, so again, reflection. Think about it. Um, when you take it, you're, it's like you're doing a little mini sermon. You're proclaiming the gospel. Okay. Worship. There is worship. That's really good. Good. Good, Melissa. Yeah. You guys are missing something really obvious, really big here. Examining yourself. Why? Why would you examine yourself? What's the dynamic, mysterious thing that's happening? Heart change? No. Who said judgment over here? Somebody? I met Stephen judgment. Absolutely. There is some. I can't explain it. Some judgmental force. There is a person. And there is a judgment that is dynamically, interactively happening among every person that chooses to take the bread and the wine. It's a contact sport. You're going to get hit. There's going to be scratches on your helmet and grass stains on your jersey. I'm not kidding. It's a contact sport. When you take the Lord's Supper, you are literally ingesting judgment. Judgment of self. For what? What are we judged over? The atonement of the sins. What's that? Atonement from the sins of the individual. No. What does it say? It's all there. For not properly recognizing the body of Christ, which means you are damaging a relationship. There is somebody in the church that you are aggressively harming by, by an attack or aggressively harming by neglect. It's a damaged relationship in the church. You're wealthy, you're high status, you're high honor, and you are shaming and ignoring a low-status poor person, for example. And there's many ways that we can do that to each other. Right? So it's Paul that brings up this dynamic, mysterious thing that's a part of the Lord's Supper. It's Paul that does that, okay? Um, Chris? Yes? Sorry, so that word body, mm-hmm. is that talking about the church body, or is it talking about Yeah, and and I literally am not dodging, and the answer is yes. I'm not dodging it at all because the body of Christ, and as as that which identifies Jesus as an individual, and the body of Christ, the collective group of people that are born again in Him, are one and the same. They become, and the fancy word is coterminous. Coterminous, two separate things go to the same place. They term out at the same point. Two separate things. 
because we did the same chat. So it's almost like we have to do a work to take the close up of Well, a work in the sense of the work of examining, the work of loving. So why did the, the other three didn't, the, other, the Gospels didn't reflect themselves? Not at all. Not at all. Not at, thank you. Thank you. For, two, for a couple of reasons. Actually, a lot of reasons. Number one, it's important that we get it straight. The Last Supper is not the Lord's Supper. They're two very different things. Okay. One has to do with the Jewish Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread event, and the other has to do with what the Apostle Paul teaches is the thing that can help heal, you ready, an extremely dysfunctional church. When you read 1 Corinthians, there's a, there's a dirty laundry list. Chloe's people report to Paul just how jacked up that church is. Okay, and Paul gets his ears full of the horrific stuff that's going on. And when you read First Corinthians, it's like you can hear Chloe's voice in the background. Well, first of all, they're doing this and then they're doing that. And then it's, there's this list and it literally is the outline of First Corinthians. And it leads right up to chapter 10 where people are involved. Christians are involved in engaging in worship at pagan temples I'm talking about actual worship, not just, you know, some little passerby. They're engaging in worship at a pagan temple, and then they want to sit down at the Lord's Supper table as well. Both. Hits the fan with Paul, and so by the time Paul gets to chapter 11, he says this becomes the rallying point. The Lord's Supper is the thing that a church should be restored and healed. Okay? Relationships are healed. Let me tell you a little bit about what's called the holy kiss, also known as the kiss of peace. And it means this, like let's say me and Jay, we get into it. And Jay says I'm wrong, and I say he's wrong. And I'm right and he's wrong. And boy, there's enough hatred between us that you can cut it with a knife. And then we restore, because Sloan and Lisa slap some sense into both of us, okay? And we restore, all right? During the, the period of hatred, one of the dumbest things we could do is take the Lord's Supper. But once we are restored, we would exchange a kiss of peace prior to taking the Lord's Supper to ensure that we would not be judged harmfully by God. They actually, the early, early church practiced that. By the way, the Catholic Church took it and it went to a place that I would never take it. But. You take the Lord's Supper, your conscience is clear. You've tried to re reconcile with your brother. They're having nothing to do with it. Your sister, your conscience is clear. Take it. Yeah. 
Yes, yes. Yeah, okay, real quick. Um, pronouns, right, are really a big deal. <laughs> They're really a big deal now in our culture, right? But let's go with Greek pronouns. Big deal. Are these singular or plural pronouns? Plural with some singulars in here. Like, for example, if it says, a man must examine himself. Sure, the individual, either on it. Chris needs to give pause, hit the brakes, don't go run into the table, and examine myself. But they're also plural pronouns, which means maybe I need some encouragement from Edie to help me see something that I can't see. And Edie needs me. And so you, you get this thing where we are helping each other become holy. Can you appreciate something? Discipleship is the collective work of the body of Christ. It's not you in a really cool mug and an awesome tea at Starbucks with it opened up and your little devotion book from somebody and you take a screenshot of it to make it look like you're really doing something holy and then you post it on Instagram. That is not discipleship. Okay, It's a good promotion that you, you bought something and you enjoy your tea. Discipleship is the hard work of the church literally growing each other up to be like Jesus in its hard work. And there's something inside of us that, that, that we want to go, my business ain't your business, so keep your nose out of it. Well, that attitude kills discipleship in church. It destroys it. This is a corporate thing that we're going to do, not an individual thing. Okay, anybody else on what happens? What's the dynamic, the mystery of taking the Lord's Supper, the bread, the wine, uh, and, and the person that ingests it? Anything else? Anybody else? Justin? So, finishing paragraph 34, it's almost as though the Lord's Supper is a litmus test for how you love other people in the body of Christ. Please say it again, only use your bigger voice. That is so good. It's it's almost as though the Lord's Supper is, is I say litmus test, but it's really really just a, if you don't love people like Christ said that you're supposed to love the, the church, right? You know that you're a disciple of mine and you love other people that are in the body of Christ and you don't do that well, that to me is the judgment that is that's on you. Yes. And and so when you take the Lord's Supper, it's it's a way of determining if you are in fact loving the body of Christ the way you ought to. Okay. Nailed it. Okay, everybody pull up in your, in your minds. You don't need to turn there. Matthew 5, 6, 7. What did Jesus say to do with your enemies? How do you treat people? You, you get it? It's all about relationships in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And literally Paul grabs that and makes it about discipleship. Okay, you ready? We're going to go deep now. That was a warm-up. You guys ready? Here we go. Now what happened? Now what? Our Catholic friends may not be so so off the mark as we think. Or our Orthodox friends may not be so off the mark. 
What do you think? You have to understand how John writes. Yes. To really properly interpret it, but really, it's not that much different than the other gospels. Okay. Kind of the writing style. Yeah, yeah. By the way, when you see truly, truly, what does that mean? It means, thank you. It means, you. Don't miss this. Okay, that's like saying in Aramaic Hebrew, amen, amen. I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. And when it's repeated, it's a big deal. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. Now that forces us to deal with, to, to, to make a conclusion. We have to say, number one, He's using metaphor. He's using hyperbole. It's symbolic language. You don't really eat his flesh and you don't really drink his blood. Okay. Another thing is, is Jesus is insane and he's pushing cannibalism. Well, you, you got to scratch that one. That's not an option. Uh, third option, and I'm walking through C.S. Lewis in my brain. Jesus is a really nice guy and he just got it wrong. Okay, he was misinformed. Bless his heart. He didn't go to seminary. What do you expect? Scratch that one. That's not going to work. Fourth option, he meant it. He's saying something deeper than we can appreciate at first glance. Something deep is going on here. Patch? That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. This is important. The other three gospels lay out why it's important, and John, in his unique writing style, is really taking it on a level so we can connect intimately with that in the same way that he does. Yeah, that's so good. So here we go again. Um, do you guys get this the sense in which culturally we? Uh, we think we're so smart that we can deconstruct mystery to the point that there's nothing left. We deconstruct mystery because we're so smart that there's nothing left except some cold mechanical rituals that we run through and, and, and we're, we did it, we checked the box. I think that's happened in the church. And I think it's really, really unhealthy. The fact is... When we take the bread and take the wine, there's a deep and significant mystery. Pass is this metaphor? It has to be. Of course it is. It's metaphor. It is. But it doesn't cheapen the profundity of what's really being said here. Okay? My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Jenna? Is that saying, um, you know, if you if you're so um, aligned with me, then that's the abundant life? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Ready? Time for a pop quiz. Here we go. Number one. What is transubstantiation? We, we're going to choose sides this morning. All right, I'm going to push you to choose sides. The bread and the wine, what happens? 
The bread and wine become substantively. They change into the body and blood. This is called transubstantiation. This happens when the priest speaks the the special words. This is my body. Pop. It becomes the flesh of Jesus during the Catholic Mass. This doctrine teaches that Jesus is re-sacrificed again and again and that his atoning work is offered every time you take it. So salvation is almost incremental. All right? It is. The flesh and blood of Jesus. Consubstantiation. This is Martin Luther. Martin Luther protested, led the Protestant Revolution. He said, Christ's body and blood are physically present in the elements. Just like the Catholics. However, consubstantively, meaning the body and the blood are present in, with, under, or included in the bread and wine. It is, but it's not. (laughs) That's what Luther said, okay? It is, but it's not. Consubstantiation. So if I've got my... My piece of bread, it's, it's in it, on it, under it, over it, behind it, in front of it. It's all there. It is, but it's not. All right, your third view is uh, the view of Calvin, the Reformed view, and is spiritual. Calvin said he rejects the view of Zwingli, which is just it's a memorial, and he rejects Luther's monstrous notion of ubiquity, where Jesus is popping up everywhere, Um, he held that there is real reception of the body and blood of Jesus in the supper, but only spiritually. So it's spiritual. That's all it is. All right. Fourth view is the memorial view by Ulrich Zwingli out of Geneva. Smart dude. He opposed Luther Uh, In the physical presence of Christ, he argued that since Christ died once for all, physically on the cross, we do not eat his body at the Eucharist. For Zwingli, the role of the sacrament is in bringing to mind the death of Christ and its benefit or efficacy on behalf of the believer. Thus, the Lord's Supper is essentially a commemoration of the death of Christ. Okay? Remember, it's not, so remember. All right? There's a fourth view. This is my view. I've read a lot of scholars on this. They have not articulated this, so um, uh, this is where I stand. I'm going to call it the indwelling and interactive judgment view. All right? Christ is not scientifically in the bread and wine. Christ and the Holy Spirit are already present. Why would we fixate that he's on a little piece of bread or in the piece of bread when he's already inside your heart? He indwells the, he's already here. Is he here right now? Or does he mysterious, is he gone? He's busy at other churches, I guess. But when it comes time to the Lord, he pops in and shows up in the bread and the wine. That's silly. That's absolutely silly. The Holy Spirit is in me right now. God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are mysteriously indwelling Chris Perry in you. Okay? In this view, the presence of Christ is not required because he's already here. And you don't experience grace and personal renewal through it. You're getting that anyway. 
That's the everyday job of the Holy Spirit to grow you up and renew you. And Lee, he might use a sunrise. He might, he might use a, a cup of coffee and time with Lee. He may use the bread and the wine and you really pause and you really think about it and you really examine yourself to do the deep work of grace inside of you. The life of the believer experiences an interactive blessing or judgment just in indirect proportion to the relationship with other Christians during the Lord's Supper. It already is. That is my view. I hold to the fifth view. Okay? Now, is, it, is that spiritual? Yes, of course it is. Is it a memorial? Yes. Of course it is. It's actually a blend of two or three of the positions. But I do not hold to Luther's view and I do not hold to the Catholic view at all. Okay? All right, here we go. You're the body of Christ. So, yeah, this is a big deal. You're the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit's in you. Jesus is in you where two or three are gathered. All right? What is the Holy Spirit trying to say to us through you? Yes, yes. It could be indicative of that you're not born again. You will not experience the salvation of God. And you may have some extra time in purgatory. You're the body of Christ. What are we going to do with this? you're onto something really big and by God's grace I will cover this Sunday next Sunday what you just said is critical critically important someone else why does this matter what did you do Joe the power of the Lord's Supper is in the communal aspect yes if it was just a memorial I could do that at home by myself I don't need to come here I don't need to meet anybody the fact that it was set up during the Passover, a meal in which itself was designed to bring the Jews together together to remember what was done in Egypt and how they were passed over. Anybody sitting at the table listening to him would have understood, okay, he's co-opting what we're doing now and he's going to put a new spin on it. We're going to do something different from now on. And in taking away the lamb and giving bread, he makes it accessible. Anybody can take it. Yes. Bread and wine, easy to get a hold of, easy to produce. But the line, I won't take this again with you until I do it in my Father's kingdom again, reinforces that. This is a together thing. Yeah. This is us. This is not just a, just a work that you're going to do. This is not just a box you're going to check. This is something where the power is in you doing it together. Yes. And then Paul reinforces that. Yes. It's just like Christ's command about if you have something against your brother, leave your sacrifice at the altar. The sacrifice is not the important thing. It's you and your brother that needs to be prioritized. Yes. The love and the community that we have is where the power of the thing is. And in that, we, we, there's your mystery. 
How does me loving you have that much power Right. Not only you loving me, but how does our love relationship actually impact Jesus? Because there's more to it than just us. Joe, you have answered so well. Thank you. Somebody else, yes, Michael. Um, to the point of what Joe was saying about it being uh, something that is that something that we all do together, that actually applies to all five of those, and number six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. The, the thought that came to my mind as we're talking about this is that out of the 60 people or so that are sitting here, there's probably at least 59 different ideas on this. But we're here, we're together, and we have a like-minded Christ, and that's yeah. our goal. And that, just like Joe said, that's the mystery and that's the power. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Can Should it be in anything goes? You can believe what you want? Like, I can be a unicorn if I want to. I can identify as a moose, whether you like it or not. <laughs> Is that the way it goes with doctrine? No. 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 So, someone else, why does this matter? The Lord's Supper. The accessibility of the Lord's Supper, and I'll speak specifically to how we do things at Christ Church. The fact that we do it weekly, or when we are gathered as a body, speaks to its Accessibility and the encouragement that we should. Now, I, I don't know if every week this happens at Catholic Mass, but it's vaulted to a place because only the priest can offer that. So yeah. there's, a, there's a significance to the separation there. Huge separation. But there's also this idea for, for our church the fact that we do it weekly indicates not that it's come, it's important, right. that, it, that it's repetitious. And when Paul talks about that in Corinthians, Thank you so much. A couple comments about the Catholic Church, and we're going we're gonna to worship. Um, there's something really, really neat that happens in the Catholic Mass. By the way, in case you don't understand this, there's no such thing as a Catholic service where there isn't the Eucharist. In other words, the Eucharist is the service. Okay? Like this Wednesday night, I'm going to be teaching on James. The purpose of that service is I'm going to teach James. Now, we will do the Lord's Supper, too, on Wednesday night. But in the Catholic Church, that would never be the case. The priest doesn't give a sermon. You do the Mass. By the way, which is the most complex thing to do all that, okay? All right, number one. Number two, nail this down. Jesus said, I'm the bread. He didn't say, I'm the lamb. This is important. If he said, I'm the lamb, and we're going to do the Lord's Supper based on that, when would we do the Lord's Supper? Once a year. <laughs> and we do it during the spring because it's Passover, right? If he said, 
this lamb is my body, which is slaughtered for you. You know, eat, eat it in remembrance of me and how God passes over your sins. You know, we Christians would do it once a year at Passover and we'd feel real good about it. But he didn't. He said, this bread is my body broken for you. All right. Jesus taught, I am the bread of life. Daily bread. That's why he said bread. And Joe, you're right. It's accessible to Gentiles, to Jews. It's accessible. So this is so good. Okay, one more on why this matters. Chris, quick thought. Um, this probably would have been a meal for the church at the time, wouldn't it? It is, yeah. It, it's a full meal, by the way. Full Land meal. Would be very costly. And yep. Bread is the essential. Food. So I just think of it as just kind of like, there's a unique fellowship in communion because people have to prepare the meal. And it's sweet to read about Jesus' time in meal because he always prays to God before breaking bread yeah. and sharing the cup. And so I think that in the same vein, communion is like having a meal with Jesus. And just yes. He is yes. just wanting to be with us and eating bread his life and then blood and his sacrifice. Yes. Um, yes. That's something that I will keep continuing to think about communion. Communion, yeah. That would be communion, that language of community. That's so good, Philip. So, yeah. Um, another thing about the Catholic Church, because this reality of judgment is so, uh, so real and so powerful, you know what a deacon is in the Catholic Church? You know what a deacon is? Kind of a priest helper. The priest helper guy, the deacon would, would yell to the congregation, if you are not at peace with all your brothers, do not take the Eucharist. Yeah. Isn't that something? Like a cry or a town cry. Hey, warning, warning. We're about to take the Eucharist. This is it. Warning, if you're not at peace with your brothers, don't do it. That's what a deacon would yell during the mess. Um, Abby? I was just wondering, how many of you have contingent upon baptism? The, thank you. The assumption is that everyone's already baptized. So the first thing you're going to do is baptism, right? Because it's so close to when you actually are converted, born again, either day of or in a very, very short period of time after uh, it's presumed that you're going to already be baptized. Yep. Yep. Holy Grand. And it's not just something that we go to Christ Church and, and this is something we do. Yeah. And, but our, yes. And that is really, I mean, for us, we have to guard our minds and our hearts from not letting it become this commonplace thing yeah. that we just do. Yeah. Yeah, that's we so good. That's good. Thank you. Thank you so much, Edie. Let me pray over you. We're going we're gonna to worship. Lord, I love you and I thank you. And thank you for every person that is here and the encouragement that they have brought to me. And you heard my prayer early this morning, God. Thank you. Thank you for the way you've gathered us. And we want to sing love songs to you. We want to worship you and, and honor you right now.
please bless in Jesus' name, amen.